Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you've been listening to this podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll just start us off here by saying Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug uh, the recent publications he's written for, so go for it, Ben. Take it away. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Automobile Magazine, at Hagerty Classic Car, and Driving Line. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, Nouveau Magazine, uh, The Drive, and MotorIllustrated.com. This week we're going to talk about uh, two of, our, I think, you know, lately some of the more exciting stories that we've we've done. I love all the stories that I write, but these ones were a lot of fun to write. First, first so, before we get into that, we're going to clarify something. There are no press cars anymore. Um, media <laughs> they're fleets. All, they're all gone. Media fleets in Canada are closed. Uh, in the U.S., some of them are still going, some of them aren't. But the reality is, Sammy and I can't drive anything brand new for a while, and you all know why. So we're not going to delve into that either. But in we want to keep reaching out to you guys. We want to keep entertaining you. So what we decided to do is talk about stuff that we find interesting, and we have a couple of articles that we've written over the last couple of weeks that we think would provoke a lot of conversation between us mm -hmm. that would be entertaining for you. And we also have some questions that have come in from listeners. And we have some news in the auto industry, not all of it grim, that we wanted to share. So that's kind of going to be the focus of this podcast and I guess the upcoming podcast until the world figures itself out, Sammy. Yeah, that sounds fair. Okay. So this article you wrote uh, for MotorTrend.com is about these top 10 vehicles that the sequel topped the original, essentially second-generation cars that were so much better than the first-generation cars. Yeah, so, and, and we were talking before we started recording, and you were like, well, aren't all the second-generation cars always better than the first cars? And then you said, what would, What did you say? I immediately <laughs> regret saying that. <laughs> yes, there are definitely a few situations where the first-generation car knocked it out of the park and the second one did not. There's a lot. I mean, I can think of, off the top of my head, two that are kind of related. There's the new Beetle and then the Beetle that came after it. <laughs> where it wasn't it was just you know and then there was the audi tt and the tt that came after that what about the lexus sc 300 400 and then the 430 <laughs> oh, that happened yeah. afterwards that's a very good example as well uh that's that's a sad car to think okay about. so but we're going the wrong direction here we want to talk about second generation cars that were fantastic uh compared to the first generation cars and you've got a really good list here so ten cars. Let's run them down real quick. Um, so the first, I started off. I started off with the BMW 3 Series because yeah. this is such a car. This is a car that's so important to BMW in terms of establishing their reputation in North America. And that the car that did that was the E30. It was a car that came out at the right around the right time in the mid 80s, 1984 ish in North America, and it was. Uh, a good symbol of conspicuous consumption for the yuppie generation, but it wasn't so expensive that, like, uh, wannabe yuppies couldn't afford it. So <laughs> it kind of straddled that line, and a lot of people bought them, and they became a status symbol. And they were also fun to drive, good performers, and we got the M3 out of it. The very first M3 comes from the E30 generation. So the car that came before that was the E21, which was a good car, but it didn't really make a splash in North America. Um, mm. It was a car that was important in Europe, and it helped them kind of establish a small beachhead in the U.S. and Canada. But really, the E30 is what pushed them over the over the edge. First of all, you have quadrupled our use of the word yuppie in the podcast, uh, in this podcast alone. Mission lifetime. accomplished. That's great. 
Second of all, the E21 3 Series isn't really well known in, in North America now, is it? Like, it no, really is a kind of obscure vehicle. It got, Well, there's. I think that's because it got caught between the 2002, which was really popular among yeah. racers and still is in vintage racing, and the E30, which was just mega successful. Yeah. So it was kind of like a bridge car, and it was better than the 2002 in almost every way. It was bigger, more comfortable, and kind of more what you would want from a daily driver, whereas the 2002 was super Euro and small and lightweight. Uh, and it, it, for that reason, it's important because it established the foundations that they built the E30 on, but it doesn't really get any spotlight. You're right. All right. Let's go to the next one. This is the Chevrolet Corvette. And you made a real, you make a really good point with this Corvette. The first generation Corvette was actually not as awesome as you might think, right? Well, it was kind of slow. <laughs> well, that's because the, they had a six-cylinder in it. Yeah, right? the first for the first year, it had a six-cylinder, and they quickly realized it was time for a V8, so they they put one in. But the the Corvette that we all view as a performance car really didn't happen until the C2 generation in 1963. It's a really cool thing because what I know about you know the, the best thing you you can talk about the C2 is the design as well with that split rear window. Um, is one of the, the most important facets of a Chevrolet Corvette in its entire history um, with that Stingray styling. Yeah, and we're I, still talking, they're still using the Stingray name today. So that kind yeah. of, I mean, they're not talking about the Blue Flame 6 that was in the original Corvette. <laughs> that you'll never hear, first of all, Blue Flame is like, I, I, there was a time when that was cool. And there was a, wasn't there a, a, a land racing car, like a, a world record holder that was called the Blue Flame? I remember that when I was a kid, but I don't think <laughs> anyone would say that anymore. Like, it makes me think of legitimate flatulence. That's, that's what I think when I hear it. And yeah. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Is it wrong for me to believe that the first generation Corvette was actually a pretty sharp looking car? It was not a bad-looking car, but it was not the car that would forge the Corvette's reputation. And so, that's to my point. mind, that's why the second generation is, is, is a big improvement. The next car on your list was the Dodge Viper, and I learned something new when you, when you wrote this story, with the fact that the first-generation Dodge Viper didn't have exterior door handles. <laughs> well, last week we talked about uh, my <laughs> Viper experience um, with that first-generation Viper. It was a 94, and yeah, no, no, no external door handles because, Sammy, it didn't have a roof or, or windows. Uh, you, could get a, you could get a really terrible – I've seen – it's very terrible. It's like a thick – wedge of rubber leather is it, is it no, leather or rubber no, it's neither it's probably like the least expensive artificial material fca or Chrysler. it's like a canvas it's super bizarre looking I've it, seen it just it, right? sits on the top like a, it's like a toupee bag. yeah exactly <laughs> and then from that there's a pair of, of cheap plastic curtains that hang down and they kind of button sort of to like the inside of the vehicle and they don't keep the rain out whatsoever so when they what? built the car, they never intended for it to have a roof, clearly, which is why they never put a button on the outside to open it. <laughs> One of the things about the Viper, I think, you know, it was trying to be a modern Shelby Cobra, I guess. And yeah. it kind of was. But then they took that way too literal, and it's like it was this completely impractical vehicle. Well, the it was a vehicle that really went quickly from concept to production. And you have to remember that Chrysler was... They had been poor for so long <laughs> that when they, they finally had the ability to do some interesting things, they really went for it, and they didn't necessarily think things through. Come um, on! They, this is a company that, in the space, when the Viper came out, I believe it was a concept in 1989, and then the first ones came out in 92. Um, 
In that space of time, you also saw them developing the new RAM pickup, which is going to figure on this list a little later, and also the Jeep Grand Cherokee, which was really, really important for the company. Uh, so yeah. that was a lot of money being spent on those things. So when the, the second generation Viper is really, when it came out in 96, is really the one that smoothed over the, the uh, some of the rawness of the car. I mean, you got the coupe, the GTS coupe, which I, I think anytime you put a roof on top of something, you double the number of buyers who are going to be interested because some people just see convertibles as too impractical. Uh, mm-hmm. it, got, it got more power. It was slightly easier to drive. And it was just... Exterior door handles. Exterior door handles are a big thing. Um, the other thing, too, is if you look now at Vipers, like uh, older Vipers to buy, the first generation cars are really hard to maintain because a lot of the parts were kind of one-off stuff that Chrysler just threw together, and they, they don't exist anymore. And there were rolling changes throughout the each model year where a 92 Viper might not match up with a 93 Viper kind of deal. Oh, where they weird. Would, okay, yeah. yeah. So to the point where I believe Viper Club of America bought the tooling to try and make body parts for the car because they couldn't get them anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a great situation. If you want a car that's going to be easier to, to own over the long term, a Generation 2 is really the way to go. Uh, you wrote something in the in about the Viper that the Gen 2 remains the most popular version of the Viper. Do you mean that in sentiment or actual numbers? So when they came out with the Gen 3 Viper, do you remember how different it was? I can't even recall what the biggest difference is between the so two are. The generation, is, that the, is that the stubbier looking one? Yes. Yeah, so in, in it's the one in, fa- in uh, 3 Fast, 3 Furious, Tokyo Drift, three fast, where he races it at the beginning. Yes. Oh, the, yeah, I know this one. So, ah, yeah, it's, it's okay. Well, that was the first. So that came out in 2003, mm-hmm. I believe, or 2004, because the, the Gen, Gen 2s went to 2002. That was the first car to not have a clamshell hood. It had a regular oh. hood be, because the clamshell hood cost $20,000 to replace. And insurance companies kind of went to Chrysler and were like, this is absurd. We're not going to cover these anymore. And... I think people were not looking to have their cars totaled if they had part of the front bumper cracked or something like that. So that was something that Chrysler did. It turned out to be a big mistake. Everyone was like, this isn't a Viper, blah, 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 blah. That's so funny that such a change can (laughs) can change the entire – it doesn't have a clamshell hood. Therefore, it's not a Viper. Get out of here with this junk. The other thing too is they they lost the coupe. It was right. Roadster only, and it was actually, unlike the RT10 Roadster, which had that liftoff piece, this was an actual convertible. So it was a very it was a very different car, and people didn't really like them, and they weren't That's really pop- interesting. To this day, it's the most affordable Viper you can buy. It's really not hard okay. to find one for, for low money, um, and they're not appreciating, whereas the Gen 2 cars are. A GTS, the coupes from Generation 2 in um, the blue and white stripe edition, which is the one that everyone fantasizes about, are very, very expensive and only getting more expensive by the day. All right. So before we turn into the unnamed Viper podcast for the second week in a row, I really do like almost every generation of Viper. The first maybe is my least favorite. So that's hard hard pass on the third gen for me. Just no thank you. Let's go on to your list again. The next car on this list is the Supra, which is a very interesting choice as well. The first generation Supra. Talk to me about this. This is essentially a fancy Celica. It was not a great car. It was a Celica that they extended the nose so they could put a longer straight six engine in. And it kind of looks like it's like a 
I don't know, a Japanese Monte Carlo. It's kind of a personal luxury car. Didn't really know what it wanted to be. That will never be a compliment if anything is described <laughs> as the blank Monte Carlo. <laughs> so it, it did not do well. Uh, they did not sell a lot of them. And they were only available for three, two or three years. And then in 82, they brought out the A60, which is the, mm-hmm. the really cool wedge shape that it maintained a lot of the same formula, the same drivetrain. And I think it was actually a little bit heavier. Then the cart replaced, but it looked smaller, it looked lighter, it went all in on Grand Touring, so it was reasonably comfortable to drive, Um, Mm -hmm. and it was just a a better option. In that era, you had cars like the 300ZX from Nissan uh, slash Datsun that was coming out, you had um, the Mustang still was trying to find its way, the Camaro, the Berlinetta Camaro... I guess that's a fourth gen car that had just come out, which is roughly the same size as the Supra. So uh, this this was a car that fit in well with the vehicles that were being sold at the time. And mm-hmm. whereas the previous Supra, it, it didn't fit in anywhere. And I think I, they're not collectible. No one wants them. Whereas the the second gen is something that is starting to appreciate. Can I admit the the Celica that this first generation Supra is based on is an adorable car. I love it. It's so like the 70s Celica is beautiful. Am I wrong? I think uh, it's a beautiful looking car. Yeah, I mean the the one that I looks kind of like you don't a Mustang. Like the one yeah. that looks, the one that kind of looks like a Mustang? Yes, I love it to death. Okay, next on the list, Dodge Ram. The first generation Dodge Ram, talk to me about this thing. It sucked. <laughs> okay, second generation okay, I'm not, Dodge I'm not Ram. Oh, okay. I'm not saying it sucked, <laughs> but I'm saying that no one wanted it. Uh, everyone bought Chevs and Fords. No one bought the D series. I mean, just no one. Mm-hmm. I, I you don't see them out. Um they're they're rare. On the secondary market these days, they're not really collectible. They had some cool stuff. Like they had that they had the macho wagon, the power wagon. Um, nothing really seemed. They had the little red express. Nothing really seemed to catch fire in the minds of the public. They were always third place. Then the Ram comes out in '94 with the big rig styling, a V10 option, and a Cummins turbo diesel on the heavy duty trucks. Wow. And all of a sudden, Ram is is taking all of the attention away from Chevy and Ford. And, and, you know, Ford kept selling because, you know, people will do as they're told. But uh, the Ram is right now very close to being, I think, in second place for uh, pickup truck sales in North America. Yeah. I mean, unless you, you have to combine the, the, GM, the GM models to get... I don't have bigger. to do anything. Same oh, way. that's true. But uh, you, are, you are your own person. I forgot There is a that. direct line between the current Ram and the look of this Ram. Absolutely. I think that's great. I love the fact that they've defined their own look for the for their own pickup truck. I, I think that's great. Like but That's not, so cool. Not only that, I think that every truck that came after this truck, with the exception – so Ford already had their kind of weird fluid truck going on. In yeah. the in like the ninety seven ninety eight when that came out, with the but, tiny the tiny taillights. Yeah, the okay. the big Fords and Chevs that came out in the mid two thousands. They are a um, response to this ramp. I have never heard somebody use the word Chevs so many times in a podcast too. This is a new. This I've never heard it been called Chevs. I've heard Chevys, but that's it. Wow. So again, I'm learning new things today. Um, in all in all facets of this podcast, there's nothing wrong with learning, Sammy, and I'm happy to hear you admit that there's something you don't know. Oh, there's plenty I don't know. Anyways, the next one is the Cadillac CTSV, which is actually a really cool addition to the list because don't you have a first generation CTSV? Yeah, so this is this one kind of hurt because I personally like the first generation more. I yeah. think it's a, a more raw car that's more engaging to drive. But in terms of success, the second generation was much more popular. 
There are way more of them built, and it was way more powerful, like 156 yeah. horsepower more powerful. It, it was a the, significant chunk more powerful. It was a car that took it right to the BMW M5 and kicked sand in its face and then you know peeled out and, and drove away with its with its tires on fire. So it was well, a it was a very important car for Cadillac to establish an image that they have since squandered. <laughs> yeah, what they've really done squander is a great way to put it because when the second generation model came out, they came with a wagon and a coupe as well. Yeah, and they were uh, trying to make the CTS nameplate appeal to as many people as possible. Um, and, that, and they just uh, that, totally walked away from that. <laughs> and they're like, you know what? Forget it. We just make SUVs now. <laughs> Um, that's a shame, but I think that's a great addition to the list. The second generation model is very, very good. And you're right. They, they followed that up with, um, well, the next CTS is quite good, but then, but it was, it was kind of like, it was a a totally different direction. It was bigger. Mm -hmm. It was heavier. It was automatic only. And it was only sedan. So it was kind of like they went from, Hey, we have a cool sporty car. That's a lot of fun to drive to, Hey, we have three versions of that car. That's that are way more powerful now and are still pretty fun to, Hey, we have this land missile <laughs> yeah, that costs land. a lot of money. Like the the first gen CTS, it was fifty grand. And the oh, second one man. is like eighty. The thir- by now they're like eighty five ninety. So it, yeah. that's a pretty even with inflation, that's a pretty big jump. And the the third gen and the current gen CTSB is a lot of cash. It's super expensive. Okay, um, then we've got the Toyota Prius. Oh, I love this addition to the list because the Prius, the first generation Prius. It is so funny to see these things on the road because you always do a double take because you think it's just a um, – what is it called? A Yaris? Uh, I think a Yaris. I, yeah, I think – well, they looked, a lot, they looked a lot like a, like an Echo or a Yaris. A Toyota yeah. Echo. That's exactly what I was I, – I completely blanked on the name. A Toyota Echo. They look like a Toyota Echo until you, you do a double take and you're like, it's a first-gen Prius. And well, then – I think what a lot of people forget is that Honda beat Toyota to the to the dedicated yep. hybrid game with the Insight, and that was the first. And that was a super weird car. It was like <laughs> a two seater, <laughs> two seater manual. Two, yeah, yes, two door. Uh, looked like kind of like a little bullet. And um, Toyota, I think they looked at that and they were like, "Well, we crap, we got to get something out there." And they kind of pushed out the first Prius, and it was semi half baked. But then when the second one came, they were on point. Yes. Uh, and the second one really doubled down on the fuel efficiency and was a car that you can drive um, easily every single day without very much uh, compromise. And, and you looked at it and you knew it was a Prius. You didn't think, hey, is that an Echo? You, you thought like, <laughs> okay, this is, this is something new and different and they were able to establish an identity. And I think that was very important for them. And then you reach way back with another Dodge in this in this list. Man, did you have Dodge on the brain here? No, maybe Dodge is just better the second time, Sammy. That's true. So what is this one? The Charger. Yeah, I, this is kind of kind of weird because the first generation Charger was cool, but the second generation Charger was Dukes of Hazard and Bullet and all that stuff. So it's way more cool. Uh, it, and it's the icon. It went racing in NASCAR. It, it created the winged cars. It did a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so I, my apologies to everyone who owns a first gen Charger. I think they're sweet, but the market has spoken on which one is more important. And just historically, it's a more significant car. Now the second generation Charger, now that's the current. It's been it's been around for forever. It's the current Charger that's still on sale, right? That's how long that model has gone on for. No, have I, we killed this? Have we killed this joke before? Oh, I see what you. It was a joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, Mo- moving on. Moving, <laughs> uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse, Eagle Talon, and the Plymouth. Laser. Yes. Laser. Laser. Yeah, so DSM cars are, I mean, 
there you can go pretty deep on them. There's going to be people yeah. who will argue the first gen are better because I don't think they had the same crankwalk issue as the engine on the second gen on the 2Gs. Mm-hmm. But the 2Gs looked way better. They had more equipment, they were more comfortable, and I think they kind of brought the small turbocharged all-wheel drive car into the mainstream, which the yeah. 1G cars didn't do. Uh so for me, I thought they were more important. Plus, they were in Fast and Furious. I mean, Brian Earl Spillner sounds like a serial killer name, but he drove an Eagle Talon slash Mitsubishi Eclipse. So what are you going to do? Absolutely. I I won't argue with that. I I do think it's funny that in the second generation of that vehicle that the Plymouth model was, like, cut. Like, we're done with that. That's not <laughs> I know. Anyway. That was right around the time Plymouth was like, we're completely done making interesting cars. <laughs> yeah. And then, how long did the Eagle Talon last until then? Oh, probably 98, I think. Wow. It's amazing to think that an Eagle nameplate lasted longer than that. Um, <laughs> and then, I guess the last car on your list is the SVT Lightning from Yeah, Ford. another another Brian Earl Spillner special, um, <laughs> if you're keeping track on the Fast and Furious scoreboard. But uh, there, was a, there was a Lightning in the 90s that was not really that great. It was uh, mid-90s, 351 Cleveland, which is the biggest, actually not even the biggest engine you could get from Ford at that time. But I think it was the biggest engine you could get in an F-150. I think you could get the 460 in an F-250. Anyway, wow. anyway, it was like a little bit lower. It was all black. It had like an air dam and stuff. And it was pretty quick for its time. But then they really knocked it out of the park with the second-gen SVT, which had like 380 horsepower. And was super four hundred fifty pound feet of torque. It was super fast. It looked cool. It had the step side styling. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's really no comparison between these vehicles. Is this this is one of the coolest trucks and the fastest trucks ever until the Viper powered Ram came out, right? Yeah, I mean the Viper powered Ram had five hundred horsepower, but it was a lot harder to launch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's it's just a, it's just a neat. I think the Lightnings are a cool truck. They, they are starting to appreciate if you can find a clean one. Really? Yeah, they're they're cool. never, they've never been cheap. They never That's really you could never buy a five thousand dollar Lightning. You know and that <laughs> never happened. So they they've always had somewhat of a cachet. But uh, I think that they may be collectible in the future because not very many were built. I really love this story, and I think there's so much discussion, and I can't wait to read the comments and the emails that we get about these uh, about these vehicles. And if you want a, a reference, a visual guide, if you will, we'll put the link on the show notes for, for listeners to see. And speaking of uh, things I'm excited to talk about uh, and <laughs> oh. comments and, and questions, the article that Sammy has posted recently at The Drive, <laughs> this is this – is, uh, Sammy, it's a look at – so – when the Fast and Furious came out, everyone wanted a piece of that action, right? Especially when the sequel started churning in billions of dollars. Yeah. And a bunch of studios said, hey, we can do that too. But they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, they were very wrong. It's actually amazing to consider that the Fast and the Furious franchise to this point is one of the most lucrative and uh, it's just a moneymaker now. They are among the Star, uh, the Star Wars universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, James Bond, Jurassic Park. Uh, Harry Potter, the Lord of the Rings. These are huge money makers globally, um, and now the Fast and the Furious is included in that list, which and is insane. It, it all started out with Dom and Letty stealing <laughs> DVD players from eighteen wheelers. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so that happened, I believe, in two thousand and one. And since then, we've been getting um, a trickle of these of these car culture influenced movies trying to 
time, trying to ride the coattails of the Fast and the Furious. I'm, I'm going to say car culture with an asterisk, Sam. Yes, absolutely. It's very interesting to see that none of these other movies have really taken off, save one in this list, but... Um, so I, you started. You went in chronological order. So I did. Maybe we should do it that way too. So you started off with a movie I actually saw in the theaters in 2003 called Biker Boys, and I say boys because it has a Z in the title. As was the fashion at the time. It it cost had a twenty Z in it, or a K instead of a C, or a, or a, an X instead of an EX, or a Y instead of an I. It's like, I'm surprised it wasn't like you know when they made triple X. I'm surprised yes. this wasn't Biker Boys. <laughs> it had a budget of twenty four million dollars, and it made twenty two million dollars, hey. which, if you're bad at math, is not good. <laughs> it almost broke it even, which is really cool because if you watch this movie or look at this movie, it's got a, it's got a pretty good. I mean, in hindsight, Lawrence Fishburne, Terrence Howard, it's like, uh, it, it's got Kid Rock in it, man. Wow. What do you think of that? And Orlando Bloom, somehow. <laughs> Sammy, what's this movie about? It's, um, it's about underground street racing uh, for motorcycles, hence Biker Boys. There is a, a whole family theme to it. Um, a, a, basically, a biker wants to take on the biggest, baddest, fastest biker gang um, in the in the region. And uh, he does so, I guess. And <laughs> that's what happens. It, it, I, it, it, what, what what do you have to say? What do you remember about this? I rem- came- the, the only thing I remember about this movie was a side character had a Champion Sparkplugs logo tattoo. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Oh, when yeah. When I was 23 years old, I was really into that. I did not get one, fortunately, because I only use NGK plugs now, so that would have been awkward. I have a I have a quote from a review. Um, it's from a publication called The Telegraph. They were doing a bunch of um, reviews of movies based on cars, and the quote goes, it's just an atrocious film, which sadly may never become so bad it's good. It takes itself far too seriously to be appreciated as a car crash entertainment and so so stays solidly on the wrong side of Dyer, making it officially the second worst film that we've reviewed. While it's bad, it's still a lot better than Driven. (laughs) Can you imagine that's the compliment you're given? (laughs) Better than Driven. Yeah. So um, I I, want to follow up Biker Boys. With yes. a movie that came out a year later that did even worse at the box office, it it yep. it, it it lost twenty million dollars. <laughs> it's called Torque, and I saw this movie too. It's a super weird movie that I think Ice Cube was in. Yeah, Ice Cube was definitely in this movie. That's all I remember though. And Dane Cook, I believe, was in it. Are you serious? Remember yes. Dane Cook? <laughs> yes, of course we all remember Dane Cook. What is this movie about? Like, I can't even remember what this this movie. In fact, that's that's the thing I want to really uh, iron out with these movies that they are so forgettable. Um, I believe this movie is about a biker who goes on the run after he's framed for the murder of a gang leader's brother, um, and that's pretty much it. And when I think bikes, I think torque. <laughs> you know, that's the yep. first thing I think. Absolutely. All those big block bikes. I also need to add that there's a fight scene in this movie that involves the motorcycles all, um, pretty much clashing with each other, like they're being like they're sword fighting. Which oh, I think that's I mean, every who hasn't seen that happen down at the docks or the <laughs> racetrack or in the killing bike fields? 
Um, this one says, the, the telling review I have is from, for this is from the AV Club. Um, and they say, by the time Torque concludes with a chase so phony looking, it might as well take place in the Who Framed Roger Rabbit's Toontown. It's clear that the 2004 film year has nothing to go, nowhere to go but up. And that's because this movie came out at the start of the year, and that's, that was the first impression 2004 had film-wise. Traditionally, early year movies are released in January and February, so they're buried. So that, like, <laughs> no, seriously, because the studios don't have any confidence in them. If you're watch, if you're in the theater in February, you're in for a bad time. Like, what? that's you should Valentine's that. Day movies. Oh, Uh-oh. wow. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry to Sammy's fiance if he thinks that's a Valentine's Day activity that Uh-oh. he should be engaging in. Next movie. Is Redline. This is a famous movie because this movie, first of all, was completely funded by this um, this fellow named Daniel Sadik, and uh, he was a subprime subprime mortgage lending mogul, and he used all of his own mo- cars in this movie, including did he, a. Did you go to jail? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, including a Ferrari Enzo that Eddie Griffin crashed during a promotional event for the movie. Remember, this is the remember movie. It's Eddie- called Redline. Remember Eddie Griffin? <laughs> Do you? <laughs> of I course, we killed, remember. I think this killed his career. This killed a lot of things, including money and cool car movies. What was it about, though? It was. I saw this, but I can't remember. It was about um, uh, rich people gambling on car racers racing their cars, racing the rich people's cars for money. You see, you see what I'm getting, getting at here? Yes. These people would bet on their own cars being piloted by. Um, professional racers of some kind, and that's it. <laughs> if you Google Eddie Griffin, yes. the first two questions people also ask: When did Eddie Griffin die? Oh, how, no. did, how did Eddie Griffin die? Sammy, Eddie Griffin is apparently dead. Is but, he? No, but not that Eddie Griffin. <laughs> oh, okay. So Eddie Griffin was also a uh, a baseball player. Oh yes. I'm oh, sorry, basketball player. Excuse me. Yes. So the 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 Eddie Griffin whose career is dead is still alive. Yes. But Eddie Griffin who had a career is no longer with us. This movie, despite being made with a 26 million dollar budget, made only six million dollars, has a Rotten Tomato score of zero, zero, which makes it one of the worst movies ever made to date. Okay. This is a movie that somebody actually tried to make a very – it's not like – it's not a parody. It's not a school project. It's not a, a, a – just like uh, the, the movie made by some kid – some producer's kid. This is a legit movie that had a okay. lot of money behind it. I'm going to back you up. It was not a legit movie. It was a movie made by someone with a lot of money who had no idea what they were doing. Okay. Well, that's true. <laughs> it, it was it intended was, to be a legit movie. That's what I mean. It was intended to be a legitimate movie with promotional money thrown behind it as well and nobody gave uh, a, a second thought to it. Now, the next movie we're going to talk about is uh, none of those things. It, <laughs> none of those. It's things. called Street Racer. It's maybe a, a, it was produced by a company called Asylum, and Asylum was famous for taking a, ver- a movie genre that was very popular at the time, and mm. then creating a, an instant knockoff movie. And one of my favorites, I think, is there was a movie called Battleship that came out, um, and it was terrible. It was based on the board game. Yeah, but. Asylum came out with one that I think was just called Battleships, like with an S. <laughs> and they released that. So they were doing stuff like that all the time. Street yeah. Racer, it cost them a million dollars to do. It went straight to DVD. Sammy, what's your telling quote review here? 
I cannot say anything good about this movie. This is by far the worst <laughs> acting I've ever seen in a movie, and I saw many bad movies. And this isn't even a professional uh, like movie reviewer. This is an IMDb viewer review. And if you've ever looked at an IMDb, um, like the, the, the user reviews on it, it's they're the most generous things in the world, okay? This is one of my favorite things that even this person who's like, I can't. This so this is such a terrible movie. I think we should talk about this movie as little as possible because this is this was brought to us by the same people who created Sharknado. That's that's what I think is the most interesting thing is that when you look at Sharknado, which is a very very creative idea for a movie, it's insane. It's absolutely and, nuts. And here's a weird tagline from the movie that you included in your article: "At 130 miles per hour, you're never more alive or closer to dead?" Question <laughs> mark. What? <laughs> what an arbitrary number to choose. I I couldn't understand parts of this movie because uh, the antagonist says to the protagonist, the antagonist drives a Honda S2000 and he says to the protagonist who drives a BMW, I don't race ricers. Is a BMW a, a, a racer? back you up. That's a bit racist. It is a bit racist. Of course it is. Second of all, I wanted to add that um, it, this this it's as if they just didn't try at all with any of the script. You know, some of the other... Um, movies that we talk about throw cool cards in the list, or they can they they think that they've got a pretty good uh, finger on the pulse of car culture, and this just isn't the case with any. There there isn't a single aspect of this movie called Street Racer um, that it, that shows that they understand what what the car culture or the car enthusiast would like to see. In, in, in I their think movie, that that reflects. That reflects a general attitude, though, that I don't think is any different than Redline, which is where some directors seem to think you could just point a camera at a bunch of cars and get a cool movie. And that's not how it works. Redline tried to do that with way yep. more money. It didn't work. Street Racer tried to do that with no money. and It didn't work. And that brings us to 200 Miles Per Hour, which uh, came out in 2011. Yeah. I don't think I've seen this movie, Sammy. You can watch this movie, I think, on Netflix or something like that. It is available. And you and see that the the, it, the racing scenes in this film use graphics lifted straight from the first generation PlayStation. It, lo- it looks like it. These things are polygon, untextured cars. That's <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Additionally, a Mazda RX-7 enters a garage and then later leaves as a green Nissan Silvia. Didn't that uh, happen in Too Fast, Too Furious? That's a completely different car. Well, weren't they different colors? I forget. Um, what's, what's really interesting as well is that the character calls it a MX-7, which I don't think is, which is, is not true because it's like an, it's like an MX-7. It's a really (laughs) high-end credit card. Yeah. Um, it's such a bizarre movie and I, I need to point the, say that this movie came out around the time of Fast Five, which is one of the most insane action-packed, um, iterations of the it was the that was when the the fast and the furious movies really jumped the shark from just being a car movie to this um action oriented um series and this 200 miles per hour was such a garbage movie that uh i can't believe that they wanted to cash in on this kind of this the coattails of the fast and furious franchise this way so we're going to go from this movie to another movie that I have only seen the trailer for because I didn't really know that this was a car culture movie. It's called Getaway, and it stars yeah. people you've heard of, like Ethan Hawke. And, and Selena Gomez. Yeah, well, I mean, some of us have heard of Selena and Gomez. And John Voight, come on. John Voight will make anything. It is, doesn't matter. <laughs> Seriously. It uses this Shelby Super Snake Mustang. That's pretty much the, the, the hook of the movie. Is it uses this really rare and cool car. 
Um, 13 of these cars got wrecked for the movie, which sounds like a terrible business plan. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't it? It sounds awful. And the movie is about a guy whose wife is kidnapped, um, and the kidnapper instructs him to drive this Shelby around town, uh, causing mayhem and and wreaking havoc everywhere he goes. Um, that's a ridiculous movie. It's, it's poor. It's really poorly written. Um, there's a lot of really great car chase sequences and stunts, but I don't know. This didn't really pull it off and nobody really liked this movie. It had an $18 million budget and didn't even meet that either. So the most controversial movie on your list is the next one. And here, here's why it's controversial. So need for speed based on hugely popular video game franchise it made $43 million at the box office in the U.S. on a $66 million budget, which is not great. But internationally, worldwide, it made $159 million. That is pretty good. I also need to add that is not even – that is um, – I think if you, if you were to include the entire uh, Fast and Furious franchise, I think that is that ties it or makes it slightly better than the worst um, grossing movie on that list. So – Nine movies it couldn't it, it couldn't do better than so right? Need for Speed starred who 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 I, Aaron, I can't remember Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Paul Aaron Paul for and some Michael reason Michael Keaton was in it of course yeah <laughs> and uh, I remember it being so I watched this movie while assembling a barbecue in my living room. <laughs> that's the best way to because if you pay attention to the plot you'd realize it makes no sense no okay? and I kept trying to like tune in and out of the plot to and, and I realized at a certain point it didn't matter. And I, okay. I don't really know what the movie is about. I watched the whole movie. I watched all the stunts. Um, it is a terrible film. And let me tell you. I, I encourage anyone plot. listening, anyone yeah. listening who loves this movie, you can at me, and we'll we'll figure out our differences. But I, I remember it just being horrible. I remember this thing. The first thing that made no sense to me is that the main character is is framed for killing his best friend in a street race, and in order to get out his revenge. He goes on another street race and causes a lot of damage in the process. Well, you know, I, a street, if you're a street racer, every everything looks like a nail, Sammy. No, your friend just died in a street race. Why are you why are you potentially killing even more people? Uh, okay, fine. The last movie on this list is called Overdrive. It stars uh, Scott Eastwood, which is Clint Eastwood's son. And he's, he is so terrible in this movie. <laughs> I made the mistake of trying to watch this thinking it was a decent movie, like a real movie. It came out in 2017. It cost $27 million and it made $8,000. $8,000! In the U.S., yes. <laughs> so it's basically... Scott Eastwood and his douchebag brother friend. I can't. I don't remember their relationship. <laughs> yes, but they they sort of steal cars from really rich people who get mad and turn out to be criminals, and then they have to steal more cars because that's yes! always what happens. <laughs> I love. Okay, so and, and it's kind of like Gone in sixty seconds and Fast and Furious. So that's what this movie is really about. It's very funny because um, Scott Eastwood eventually joins the Fast and the Furious uh, franchise in the eighth. Episode. Oh, and he's so terrible in that, too. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. he needs to stop acting. <laughs> okay, but my favorite part, again, is that all of these movies have this great thing of, like, okay, so they got caught stealing cars, and how should they work off their debt to these stealing bad guys? Stealing more cars. <laughs> it's always the answer. Because they didn't get caught the first time. Why would they get caught again? They're obviously super good at the one thing that screwed their entire lives up. <laughs> 
Man, how did these movies get made, okay? It's insane. Anyways, what I'm trying to get at is there are so many of these movies that, like, just followed up and they said, we can make a car movie too. Uh, it can be about racing. It can be about, you know, stealing cars. Act- They're car almost action? all about stealing cars or street racing. That's kind of how it boils down. Those yeah. are the only two interest. There's three interesting things you can do with cars. Like you said, you could race them, which yep. you had in Driven and Rush and all sorts of things. You could and crash fa- them into and each other. Ones. Ferrari a, versus Ford. Yeah, right? you, you can street race them and crash them into each other. Or what's what's the third thing you can do with them? Steal them. Steal them. That's right. <laughs> that's so that's all it. And, and also crash them. <laughs> yes. Usually the two go go hand in hand. Yes. Yeah. Usually crashing happens all the time in every in every genre of these movies. There's never like a. You don't see the movies like we used to have in the 70s that involved cars like Vanishing Point, where people were just kind of driving. And then yeah. the government got up mad at them for some reason, and then they had to be stopped. Like that's kind of that was the theme of so many movies that that were car centric in that era. Yeah, so, uh, it, it's a different era we live in. And if you know what, I I have seen so many bad car movies. Can you please recommend me a good one, people out there? Yeah, uh, write us I in with to... your favorite car movies, and we promise to either watch them or very least take them seriously. <laughs> yes, we will. So let's um. Do you want to answer these questions and talk about some of the news that we've got? Uh, actually, I want to talk about one piece of news that came out earlier this this week. I found it on carandriver.com. It's about the next generation Grand Cherokee from Jeep. So, yeah, we were talking about well, – last week's podcast, we, had, we were talking about whether the Grand Cherokee would be developed versus the Cherokee in terms of getting a new generation. And it looks like that is the case. It's going to be coming out in 2021. And the weird thing is, Sammy, it's going to be on a non-Jeep platform. The Alfa Romeo platform, the one that use, that's being used in the Giulia and Stelvio, which yeah. is a pretty decent platform, if a little bit small, right? It's, well, it's going to be much, much longer than either of those two vehicles. Okay. Uh, it's, gonna, it's going to be longer, in fact, than the current Grand Cherokee, which has a 114-inch wheelbase, which is already about 6 inches or 5 inches longer than the Stelvio. So it's going to be a three-row eventually. It'll launch as a two-row, according to Car Driver. Uh, they're still going to make the Grand Wagoneer, and that will be the more luxurious three-row, but that's going to be a body-on-frame vehicle, whereas the Grand, the Grand Cherokee is going to stay unibody. Um, Could, and- I, need to, I, need to, I need to change the idea here. Why go with the, that Alfa Romeo platform instead of using a truck platform like the, what the Ram uses? I mean, that's what... They've never, what- the Grand Cherokee has been unibody since day one, and mm-hmm. that's why it drives so nicely. So okay, they're going to make the truck body will be the Grand Wagoneer. Okay. So, that I mean, that's what GM does with the Suburban and Tahoe. So, yes, but this is not the same size. I mean, if they want to be. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, what else is going to be going on in this, in this new Grand Cherokee? We're going to get a four-cylinder model, a V6, a V8, and... Hybrids, I mean, that's what Jeep is going on with those 4xe um, powertrains too, right? 4xe, what's that? You mean the e-torque? Yeah, and uh, the what they're doing with their Jeep um, Cherokee, uh, Jeep Wrangler models as well. Oh, I, I'm unaware of that vehicle. Yeah, they're gonna have plug-in. They're gonna have plug-in hybrids, man. Oh, that's totally the Jeep demographic. They're, they're going <laughs> to sell so many of those. Yes, exactly. Um, and there's a rumor that they're going to continue the Trackhawk or that uh, at least stuff a Hellcat into this new car as well. So that'll be cool. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I'll be curious to see where it goes. I mean, platform sharing is not a bad thing as long as they can keep the car 
roughly within the same performance envelope with maybe better fuel mileage and maybe a nicer interior. So I'm very curious to see where, where it ends up. This is extremely important because the Grand Cherokee is an extremely popular car. They sell a lot of these things, um, and they're easy to get into. And they, as we mentioned before, they cover a really broad spectrum of the, the, the price uh, of prices. And uh, if they if this doesn't maintain in the next generation model, that can really like really impact just how popular it becomes. So, uh, Sammy, you said there were some questions that you wanted to get to. Yeah, actually, we had a question from a listener. Let me bring up his name because I really always appreciate that. This is John uh, Merchek. He asks if we've ever heard anything about a 2.5 turbo model of the Mazda 3. And I think that's a really good question because I feel like there are some some opportunities for Mazda to really deliver with a very fun, fast version of the Mazda 3. And that 2.5T that we see in the cars like um, the CX-5 and the CX-7, sorry, CX-9, could find a home in the Mazda 3 as well. But I've heard some rumblings in the past, but I'm not sure if those are are to be believed nowadays. I'm pretty sure that our friend of the show, Stefan uh, Ogbach, has talked about a turbo engine in the 3. And Mm -hmm. he's, he's got some inside information that he shared with us in the past saying it is going to happen. Uh, whether that happens this year or next year is going to be tough to know because of the current economic situation. Yeah. And because Mazda has said they're not going to be bringing out any new products. Was it, is it them who said that for the next two, th- two or three years? Yeesh, I don't know about that. Okay, I, didn't, I don't remember. I don't recall that. The other thing is that Mazda has been working on another powertrain this whole time with their Skyactiv-X. X, And that might already be dead in the water. Are they going to be investing into a new in, – into fitting another powertrain into the – the Mazda 3? I think it'll be minimal investment because the powertrain already exists, right? Yeah, so but it hasn't fit to this to this platform yet. No, but I'm sure that I, it, I, I think it's possible, and I think they'll eventually do it, if, especially if their new new product freeze is for real. Uh, but yeah, that, that's my feeling on it. I think that's a great... I think it's really cool. Um, I would love to see a 2.5 turbo version of the Mazda 3. Um, although the new rear suspension kind of made the the Mazda 3 a little less exciting than it used to be. It's still a pretty fun driving car. It's really premium on the inside as well. It's, it would be great to have an alternative to like a WRX and an STI. Well, oh, I don't know. WRX. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we're going to be that quite, quite that far. We'll see. Um and then the other question I have is from a, a personal friend. His name is Ben. It's not you. Ugh. But uh he's Worst looking name. for he's looking for a subcompact or a compact um, car that he, he's got a small family and he wants to get something. He was looking at um, the Nissan Rogue Sport. It's also known as the Qashqai in Canada. Uh, and was looking at some alternatives to that. So I told them, you know, the Hyundai Kona is a really decent choice in that segment. Um, and the other option, if you're only worried about space, for example, and safety would be the um, Subaru Crosstrek. What other ideas might you have? He's a, he, he's a, Can we just he, talk about the Seltos recently? Yeah, I think the Seltos might pull it off too. That seems to be a little bit more spacious than the Kona, and uh, I think that'll really go in his favor. And then there's also the Nissan Kicks, if you don't want a Qashqai, which is a little, little bit smaller, but a lot more fun. And much more affordable. Yes. Uh, he's. I also said, you know, if you're not too worried about the, the crossover thing, because many of these subcompact crossovers are just glorified hatchbacks, you might actually want to lean into looking into a, just an Impreza or a, um, a Mazda 3 or something. Yeah, for sure. Always a good choice. But uh, I mean, if 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 you're looking at it from a family car perspective, 
I don't know if a subcompact is really going to do it for you. I agree. I definitely agree with you, especially space-wise, which is why I, I do think the Crosstrek and the Subaru Impreza hatchback would be a really good choice in, for um, a family buyer. So any, any other questions? No, that's, that's it, man. We just, we just plowed through those questions, no problem. We did, and that kind of brings <laughs> us to the end of uh, this week's podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening, even though we didn't talk about any new cars this week. And uh, we hope we kept you entertained. We hope we made you laugh. Um, if you want to go back in time and listen to another era when we could talk about new cars, you can do that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, where every single episode, I think we're up to 170 or 180 now, if you include the bonus episodes that nobody likes. Um, yeah. There, You can find them I all like there. It. You can find them all there. You can also subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. There's a ton of buttons with you just click on them and bam, you're subscribed. And maybe you didn't want to do that, but it's too late now. But uh, you can also find us on your favorite podcast service if you search Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify. Uh, just type in Unnamed Automotive Podcast and we are there. Yeah. And don't hesitate to leave a review or a rating. And that helps other people see... Um, just so you know what what to expect from this podcast, and that's really useful right now because a lot of people are checking out the podcast and our new podcast during uh, their time at home. So hey, they can do that for this too. And Sammy, if people want to get in touch with us, how can they do that? Well, there's a contact form on the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. That's probably the easiest way to get in touch with us. Additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, H A. Uh, and you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. If you want to do an old-fashioned t- email, you can just email Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. So once again, thank you everyone for listening, and we'll talk with you next week. Bye. That was great. Yeah, it was pretty good. I can't, I can't stop the podcast recording. Oh no! What do we have to keep going? I don't. I don't uh, know hello again, listener. We, uh... I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I'm clicking stop and nothing's happening.